1: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt.
6: My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined as always with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. In today's episode, stuff they don't want you to know is going to the dentist. And, no. let's, and let's be honest, folks, <laughs> most people hate that kind of appointment. It can be a painful, expensive, sometimes humiliating hassle, but still, when everything works out, it's better than the alternative because if left untreated, your cavities, your other ailments can make a serious negative impact on your life. And I I was thinking about this, you know, all the way back to... Uh, uh, the stereotypical image of Steve Martin's dentist in Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, Dentists have this unique spot in culture, at least in the U.S. Like postal workers, they've been saddled with all sorts of pretty unkind stereotypes. And this doesn't mean dentists have done anything wrong. It's just that in the vast majority of cases, people who don't care for dentists associate them with previous unpleasant experiences. There's some behavioralism going on.
1: Definitely. Just think about uh, horrible bosses. I mean, just, yeah, dentists can be bad, at least in movies and TV. Well, the biggest one that I think always has followed me around even before
3: I'd seen the movie, I was aware of the character in the scene, is the uh, Laurence Olivier character in the Marathon Man with right. um, Dustin Hoffman, where he's literally torturing uh, the protagonists of the film with dental tools, and he's like, I think he's like a... Former Nazi, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that's from um, Yeah, and he keeps saying, "Is it safe?" And I've never quite fully understood what that was, other than just like an odd idiosyncrasy. But yeah, he's like, you know, drilling the guy's teeth out like for funsies, just to make him talk. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a torture technique we see, you know, in other films too, like Old Boy, for example, where the character uses the back end of a hammer to twist the guy's teeth out of his mouth. Teeth are very triggering for people.
6: Oh, yeah. It's one of the most common nightmare tropes uh, that I, I think, Matt, you were probably going to mention this if I didn't say it. It's, if you look at, like, for anybody who has strange dreams, you'll notice that you, you probably do have a couple of dreams that are common in the human species. And one of the most common is the idea of one's teeth cracking, or one's mm. teeth falling out, but this is not a dream interpretation episode quite yet. Uh, we we do know though that we're, when we're talking about the world of dentistry, we are talking about. Some tropes. And at the very top, I want to give a shout out to an excellent article uh, published in The Atlantic in 2019 by Ferris Jabber, J A B R. It's called The Truth About Dentistry. Uh, Ferris has done some excellent work here, and I think he nailed one of our collective interpretations of what visiting a dentist is like.
1: Yes, definitely. You've likely had some kind of toothache before in the past. Uh, I know I have. And it is, it's is—it's an inescapable, terrible feeling. And in order to fix it, you have to go and see a dentist. And when you go to see a dentist, you are putting yourself through an experience. And <laughs> as you said, Ben, uh, this writer in The Atlantic describes it as such. He gets it. Uh, <laughs> A masked figure looms over your recumbent body, wielding power tools and sharp metal instruments, doing things to your mouth you cannot see.
6: <laughs> and wow. And only asking you questions after you. Okay, this is going to be an explicit yeah. episode. Yeah. Only asking you questions after you have a bunch of shit in your
1: mouth. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah.
6: Like, is it safe? Yeah. yeah
1: that's <laughs> and well, and and even sometimes asking you questions that you don't fully understand. I think uh, he also notes that, or mm-hmm. uh, that you don't have the answers to while you're in that position. So, uh, yeah, what do you think purple <laughs> smells like?
3: <laughs> I gotta say though, I pride myself in being a really good patient. I know exactly when and they want me to turn my head. I try to predict it so that I'm just they, so that they won't literally, you know, jab me in the gums on purpose. Right. Yeah, we
6: we try to be, uh, you know, those of us on the show, we we're talking about this a little bit off air with Paul. Uh, those of us on, on the show today, and, and perhaps you listening with us uh, at home or wherever your adventures find you, uh, we're all suffering uh, from what could be called information asymmetry. When we are in that chair, we are not the experts, right? <laughs> and sometimes, depending on your dentist's bedside manner, you may, in fact, feel like you are required to be penitent. I'm sorry, uh, Doctor. I, I I'm sorry. I I assure you, I will do
1: a better job flossing. But that is that is the question every time, Ben. Every time for me personally, and I bet for a lot of other people. So, how you been doing on the flossing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and they know they know because they're
6: looking into your mouth, so you can't really can't really pull a deception you'd have to roll pretty high in that D&D game but, it, but there's something else too with this information asymmetry we have to ask ourselves is dentistry a necessary evil or is mm. there more to the story the answers may disturb you and if you are uh, one of the small portion of the world's population who does have a legitimate phobia of dentistry and of Talking about teeth and and knives and drills in your mouth, uh, then honestly, be warned. This may not be the episode for you, but let's start at the very beginning because dentistry has a surprising history. Here are the facts yeah it
3: turns out it's uh i think it and like sex work are two of the oldest professions i just sort of made that up but uh they're probably not too too far off because dentistry dates back to 7000 bce um where evidence of its practice was discovered in the indus valley civilization Uh, but it wasn't until 5000 bce that descriptions actually relating to dentistry um as a profession and tooth decay became kind of part of the record right uh so at the time um a a Sumerian text described the idea of tooth decay as being caused by toothworms. Um, you know, and this was kind of the prevailing theory uh, for quite some time, all the way into the 1700s. So it does lead experts to describe dentistry as the oldest specialization in medicine, at the very least. Maybe not the oldest profession, but. The first book focusing entirely on the, uh, the practice of dentistry was published as far back as 1530. Um, and dentistry, as we've already indicated at the top of the show, mega important today. You always hear about people saying how like your teeth and your, your nerves and your teeth and the roots of your teeth are like a direct line to your heart. So if you have, you know, tooth decay and tooth problems and infections,
6: it can literally kill you can affect your jaw, can affect your hearing. There is a lot at stake here uh, because don't forget you know, your head is <laughs> the most important of your limbs, right? So, your mouth is a neighbor to the most mysterious and important organ in your body, the brain, as well as a uh, a lot of your specialized sensory organs. Uh, if you are, you know, a human being or a mammal in general.
1: Hey, I just want to. I just want to speak for tooth worms, just for a moment. Sure, if, yeah, if, if, like, if, like if you're on their love. behalf, uh, like, like, okay. And the, con- the concept that there was something foreign in the mouth that was causing the teeth to decay is, a, is a, it's a good thought. They're like, okay, it must be something else affecting. This isn't just a natural thing. They just got the size wrong, right? Because a tooth worm it would have to be you know at the smallest microscopic but really where you're you're thinking about bacteria and other uh microorganisms that are in your teeth kind of eating away at the enamel and different chemicals and substances that eat away at the enamel on your in your teeth it's not worms but they were close that's all i want to say
6: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and you have to applaud it because they were able to they were able to say something is amiss here, and they were you know it's a really good point, matt they were kind of on the money, but dentistry, like other fields of medicine and scientific research, evolved past its earlier roots <laughs> roots sorry uh and you know we can we can skip some of the very fascinating historical aspects of dentistry, like the the reign of dentist barbers, where the idea was that if you are qualified to cut hair, hey, you're qualified to cut off fingers, arms, extract teeth. Why not? You got the stuff already. But but uh, now your dentist will probably balk if you ask them to perform an amputation or if you ask them to cut your hair as long as they're legit. You they're, know, Ben, that, yeah. that,
1: uh, I'm sorry to cut you off. I keep doing that. The Atlantic article makes another great point that lichens the art of dentistry, the science of dentistry, closer to surgery than to um, a medical doctor. That, yes. At least that's the way they consider it. And I, it's, it, it very much is in line with what you were just saying there.
6: Yeah, yeah, it's true. And today, the what would loosely be called the global dental services market, meaning everything related to dentistry, uh, reached a value of almost $365.6 billion. That's that's well over the GDP of several countries, uh, and that's just in 2020. This year, in 2021, the dental industry in the U.S. alone is predicted to reach a value of $138.8 billion. People in the U.S. go to dentists, um, well... Regardless of how frequently or infrequently you go, uh, it tends to be an expensive endeavor. In short, business is good. Right now, or as of last year, there were over 200,000 dentists estimated to be working in the U.S. And this funny story, this led some industry experts, including dentists themselves, to argue there are just too many dentists around. Uh, because you know, from well, from their perspective, you know the cost of education is rising, right? And it's healthy for you uh, if you own a dental practice to have other dentists in the area, right? So you're not overloaded, but you don't want too many because then you're you're shortchanging yourself. Uh, it's kind of the same way that no, it's not. There's a Starbucks everywhere. Keep that part in. Uh, so <laughs> this, so this is all well and good right? And the techniques have, as we've said, evolved over time, but still not to the point where they could ease everyone's fears. If you conducted uh, if you conducted a survey like some of the ones that have been done over recent years, you will find that as many as 61% of people, more than half, are at least apprehensive about seeing the dentist, and 15% or so are so anxious about this that they Avoid the dentist almost entirely. And a smaller percentage, like we mentioned before, have a real phobia. They have to go to a psychiatrist or a therapist to get themselves back in the dentist seat.
3: You think anybody has like dental fetishes out there? Oh, like, yes. I'd, yeah. I, definitely. I'd, I'd, I'd be fascinated to hear about that it's so specific. Uh, no, it's true. And, and I understand exactly why it's the noises. It's the uh, vulnerability, you know, especially if you're getting put under for a procedure, you know, that it's like an outpatient procedure. But you still have that whole like counting backwards from 10 as you start to kind of enter the black land. That is, uh, uh, you know, um, nitrous um, sedation, I suppose, or something even heavier. Right. Uh, that you feel very out of control. So there's a lot of factors in here. That can contribute to this anxiety. I totally get it. I, I'm not scared of the dentist. I don't like needles, uh, and I certainly don't like getting shots in my mouth. But um, I'm, I'm not too bad about it. My my daughter's similarly not too freaked out. But I have known plenty of people in my life that uh, absolutely just can't hang with the dentist.
1: All right, I just want to make. I, I agree with you. Um, I love my dental hygienist. By the way by the way, shout out to Dr. Kimchi and all the folks over there. Uh, but hey, we've got the same one. Hey, but I still don't like. Doing it, but no. they're great people. Uh, but what I wanted to point out is what another reason why many people don't go to a dentist very frequently is because they don't have dental insurance. Yes, yep. Um, and it, you know, if you are just doing a yearly checkup or a, a like most, not most, like a many people, it's twice a year you go. Especially if you have insurance, you go and see the dentist for your we'll little get checkup. Into that I know, and that's what you do. But like the if you don't have insurance and you have any other issue, like you need a root canal or any other, you know, thing, get your uh, wisdom teeth out or all these things that we're going to mention later, it would break the bank completely Absolutely. if you Absolutely. didn't have insurance.
6: So I would argue, this is just me here, folks, but I would argue that this anxiety is well-founded, especially in the U.S. or any place that has heavily privatized, profit-driven medicine and insurance, you know, insurance schemes. And I'm using schemes in the British sense. I'm not calling them capers just yet. But <laughs> what but what, um, what happens is there's this self-fulfilling prophecy where you say, I'm putting off a trip to the dentist uh, because I know it'll be expensive and I know it'll be painful. And it always is because I always put it off. So we're creating the disaster uh, and the pain that we uh, predict. And it can be tough, like you just said, Matt, it can be tough to avoid this because uh, in the U.S., for anyone unfamiliar, you don't have, there, there's, not, there's not really anything like uh, first world healthcare. by which I mean there's not any kind of uh, universal medicine outside of limited programs like Medicare or Medicaid, which could be their own episodes. There is some corruption there as well. But when we get to the idea of corruption, We have to say it, with all this money and all these teeth in play, it shouldn't come as a surprise that dentistry has a lot of critics. And most of the criticism, up to now, attacks the expensive nature of these procedures. Like, you have to get a root canal. Let's just say you hypothetically have to get a root canal. It sucks. It is not a pleasant experience unless you're... You know, specifically into that kind of pain and that kind of environment for one reason or another. But it also is financially unpleasant. You won't have much time to predict it by the time you need it. It is, uh, it's going to feel like almost an emergency situation. It takes a huge bite out of your budget. Even if you have insurance, it'll hit what are called, you know, like your limits. So in privatized medicine here in the US, you can have medical insurance. But then if you want your eyes or your mouth taken care of, you need two other separate types of insurance, vision insurance and dental insurance. And this might sound really weird to people in Europe or in other countries that, again, have first world medicine, which, to highlight, to emphasize this, to repeat the point, the U.S. does not. If you have enough money, you can get world-class care. But these, these criticisms about expense are valid. Like like you said, Matt, there are people who put off necessary procedures because they simply cannot afford them. And these other criticisms are, you know, they're intertwined with those larger concerns about the state of healthcare in the US and weirdly enough Like any profession, American dentistry has its own lobbying group. It has its own trade representative group, the American Dental Association. In the course of this episode, we'll refer to them as the ADA. They have historically opposed any kind of significant dental reform. And they've been pretty open about this too. Like as far back as 1946 – leaders of the ADA went to Washington and they went to testify against something called the Wagner-Murray-Dingle Bill, which is way, <laughs> more,
1: my way
6: more fun to say as a name than it is to read the bill. Uh, and they said... They argued the opposite of critics today. They said because there's such a limited number of dentists, it's impossible to carry out any program that promises complete dental care to children, to both children and adults. So what they're saying is we can't make a law to give people decent dental care or to guarantee it or promise it because we cannot back up that promise. Because they're so highly in demand and scarce? Is that the issue? That was, that was their argument. Now, was that an argument in good faith, No. Um, maybe at the time, maybe at the time.
1: And yeah, in 46, maybe. It it might be time to update the old Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Mm Wagner-Murray-Dingle. Or it might be Dingell. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I I don't know the person.
6: Dingle and Dillard's, for anyone who
3: listened to our (laughs) earlier episode of War. That
1: would be an epic,
3: like, you know, department store kind Mm -hmm. of mashup. No, it's a good point. Uh, and, and, And all of this is at least on the surface, about insurance, right? Um, but today, it turns out that isn't really as much the issue anymore,
6: right? Yeah, yeah, you're right, Noel. the It might surprise some of our fellow conspiracy realists to learn that today's episode isn't exactly about insurance. Or they could make an episode about insurance. Um, and it's not really about the proven inequality in the world of dental care. Uh, which I, I think we've established both of those pretty clearly. Today's episode, instead, is about corruption, conspiracy, and crime. What are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsors.
1: $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash concertweek to buy now.
5: The big take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the US and Europe.
0: Mexico will likely have its first female president.
2: And then you have China.
6: here's where it gets crazy teeth whitening (laughs) do i really need all these surgeries
3: (laughs) yeah ben you you made a really great point point when we were talking off air that I, i completely thought of myself as well uh you're not an expert going into the dentist you don't know necessarily what you need or don't need and you are leaning on the um, in good faith the true and honest advice of an expert just like you would you know taking your car into a mechanic and we know how that can often go uh, not in the favor of the person with less information you can very easily be sold a bill of goods and told oh you definitely need this thing so and so is about to go that could be absolutely true it also could be absolutely false. And unless you are going to shop around and, uh, you know, which most people, frankly, don't, you're probably going to go with what they say.
1: It's a great point. And, and And I want to bring this other piece into that to think about it kind of simultaneously as we tell you some of these stories of actual corruption. The The other almost non-dentistry related Um, procedures, let's call them, like teeth whitening. Like There are so many different kinds of teeth whitening procedure you can get now, and they all cost a ton of money. Different kinds of things like getting... If you grind your teeth, like getting one of those molds made, it can can cost so much money. Things like uh, even more plastic surgery-like things that can be included at many dentistries like uh, Botox and these other procedures uh, sometimes in some weird way kind of get wrapped up in the possibilities for you when you're sitting there in that chair and talking to your dentist or you know your dental hygienist. It's just there are a lot of things that seem to be available that don't necessarily have to do directly with your teeth as well as the actual surgeries and things that you may be offered.
6: Yeah, yeah. So I, I think the, you know, when we we're doing research for this, I, I loved that comparison of the of the mechanic of the garage. Um, the situations can be very similar, but the situation with a dentist office is a step more complicated if we go back to uh the work by ferris jaber oh also side note for anybody who wants to learn more about how to differentiate between a good or unscrupulous auto mechanic uh check out the car stuff episodes on it they're several years old but they do hold up and they've got some handy tips and tricks uh the one is there one
1: is there one key takeaway
6: uh one key takeaway about how to trust a mechanic um I don't know, man. It's it's tough. I have my own system, but it might not work for everybody. It's there's a Got little it. bit of social engineering involved, to be completely honest. You know me. But yes, check it out. Check it out. And when we look at what Jaber is saying about the dentist mechanic analogy, we find this. There there is A clear and serious problem with some of the science, he says. "Quote: Common dental procedures are not always as safe, effective, or as durable as we are meant to believe. As a profession, dentistry has not yet applied the same level of self scrutiny as medicine, or embraced as sweeping an emphasis on scientific evidence." Right now, as we record, there are dental procedures that are safe and they're cheap and they're effective but they're not going to they're not commonly deployed because they're not as profitable. I'm going to out myself here really quickly but I have had
3: a procedure done um probably because I didn't you know, at least it was suggested probably because I didn't floss enough or something, but it's called uh, scaling and root planing. And it is essentially a next level deep clean instead of just doing the old, you know, pick, the metal pick and the the toothbrush. They use this like this, uh, I guess, ultrasonic kind of like very invasive kind of pick that literally goes under the gum line to get rid of like plaque deposits and um, uh, whatever you call it. Uh, That's what you call it. Uh, But it requires your mouth to literally be numbed out because it's very painful but they suggest this and it's very expensive but in your mind it's like ooh, that's pretty steep do I really need this and I don't you don't really know like they say you you do but then you also they might suggest it again like I I just you know I, I don't know it was just I ended up having to pay quite a bit out of pocket for it and then I couldn't help but wonder you know Can I just up my flossing? Can I just, like, do a better job? Do I really need to pay $1,500 for them to jab me under the gums with this, like, you know, electronic
6: thing? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question, too, because, look, one thing you don't have if you're a patient in a dentist dentist office is you don't have a POV inside your mouth, a point of view inside your mouth. So when you're numbed up and they're working on one tooth – I'm not saying this happens, but it is completely possible that they could purposely do something to another tooth that would bring you back in later and maybe not tell you. As a matter of fact, I'm certain that may have happened at some point in the past, whether through... Uh, human error, just maybe through sinister design, but of course, the vast majority of dentists are not out to get you. We need to be very clear because we're we 're about to talk about some gruesome stuff and some disturbing things there's a dentist in Bozeman, Montana named Jane Gillette and Jane works closely with the ADA's Center for Evidence-Based Dentistry, and she says that because the dental industry is isolated from the larger healthcare system, uh, they're often left out of the equation when institutions are making evidence-based policies or best practices. So it may not be, uh, you know, if, if something seems off with your dentist, it may not be because they're, you know, nefarious in any way, it may be that they just don't get the same kind of established best practices as, say, a neurologist or a surgeon would. So at the very beginning here, we find two big questions. One, are those procedures that you're paying for based in science? Two, are those procedures that you're paying for actually necessary? Unfortunately, it turns out Our perception collectively of dentistry is rife with misinformation. Let's go back to what you brought up earlier, Matt. Yes, most people in the U.S., when you grow up, maybe you're in grade school and you get that little visit from the dentist in your classroom, and they're like, here's how you brush. It's two minutes. And remember, you need to visit the dentist for a checkup and cleaning twice a year. This is like if there were a Moses dentist who came down from the Mount Ada, and they had these stone, uh, <laughs> they had these giant stone retainers with commandments written upon them. One of those commandments would be twice a year get your checkup, even if you feel like you're fine, even if you floss religiously, even if you know people are just like strangers on the street are stopping you and going, you have amazing teeth, sir yeah. and or madam, uh, you still have to go. This. This statement was not arrived at scientifically. This statement is from advertisements. Well, 100%.
3: It even feels like that, especially now. But when you're a kid and the way they pitch it to you, uh, it feels like gospel, right? Like you said, like printed on those tablets. But it also amounts to money in the bank for the industry, right? Like if you do the math on a yearly basis, two
6: trips a year for every living soul, that's a lot of money. (laughs) Well, and if it's covered by insurance, then uh, then the average person with insurance is not going to feel a, a, a huge impact on on costs. They're gonna have a copay uh, and they're going to well, they're going to be paying because it's taken out of their check every month uh, but this this is a system where theoretically everybody wins. but it's built on it is based almost entirely on a toothpaste advertisement from the 1930s. And another thing, a little uh, illustrated booklet from 1849 that just kind of follows the misadventures of a guy who's got a real pain in the butt or pain in the jaw of a toothache. And nowadays, if you ask dentists in general, you won't be at a 9 out of 10 dentist agree kind of thing. That's a little too Bernays. But if you ask dentists in general, they're going to say if you have – Three times a year. (laughs) They're going to say three times a day
1: (laughs) after each meal. Uh, Come to the dentist.
6: (laughs) Right, which, you know, technically just like changing the oil in your car, that might be beneficial for you uh, physically, but definitely not financially in this country. Uh, So nowadays, if you ask uh, a lot of dentists, they're going to say if you have good oral hygiene – you only need to see a dentist every 12 to 16 months. And then we also noticed that a lot of these dental treatments that are considered standard but, and that are considered medicinal, so they're not cosmetic, not like tooth whitening or something like that, those aren't really substantiated by a ton of research. And Jaber even argues that many have never been tested in rigorous, serious clinical trials. And the little data that is available isn't often super uh, (laughs) – isn't often super
1: reassuring. So – Dude. Yeah. Just to take it back to the insurance thing one more time. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have looked at the – I don't know, the fine print of your dental insurance that we get through this company and that we've gotten through the years – it always allocates. It's designed to have that twice a year oh, yeah. checkup. Yep. I mean, so it's it really is like everybody's working together to make sure they they can get that. It's like that's just enough times to where the patient isn't going to balk and say, "Yeah, I'm not going to go to the dentist that often," and just enough for the, the dentist office can make enough money <laughs> through you and your procedures. It's the same crazy. thing.
6: There's the same thing with other procedures too, like the insurance will pony up every five years for some hundred percent
3: it begs the question is it only a conspiracy if you're being misled <laughs> like if it's bad you know what i mean like i mean you, know, you can't really even let's just say it's excessive to go two times a year it's not bad for you it's not going to hurt you um but what we'll think, find though
1: noel is yeah. that it provides an opportunity for further uh things to be done to your with from the mechanic of Ooh. your mouth
6: the mechanic of your mouth, I like that. Uh, so, yes, you're right. I, you know what? In fact, I would say, as we reach the third act of our episode, let's let's take an ad break a little sooner than usual, and let's we want to give you the whole worst case scenario. So, uh, I know everybody's probably really conscious. Of the teeth in your mouth right now, I get mm-hmm. it. It's it's weird not to think about it. Uh, so let's let's take a break. Everybody floss. We'll be back, uh, and we'll tell you just how badly these conspiracies can go awry.
3: $25 each
1: visit LiveNation.com slash concert to buy now that's live concertweek
3: concert to buy now the big take from bloomberg news brings
5: you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the
2: world western nations like the u.s. and europe
0: mexico will likely have its first female president
2: and then you have china
1: We've returned.
6: Paul, give me a a sound cue that sounds just law and order enough not to get us sued. Perfect. Law and order. Mouth crime. So let's think of the worst case scenario. Let's say there is a dentist somewhere out there who realizes they can make a ton of money convincing patients not all the time, but every so often, that they need an expensive, unnecessary surgery. Like they need a root canal or they need a procedure like a crown. As we said before, very few patients are going to have the knowledge to dispute this advice from an expert. You know, who are you to say, without a DDS degree, who are you to say, ah, no, no, it's not on the up and up. I live with my teeth, bro. I believe in them, Doc, and I know what's best for my teeth. Uh,
1: That would feel like
6: both arrogant and kind of bullheaded,
1: uh, but... And it's also not like you're going to go, you know what? I need a second opinion. (laughs) Who's going to do that?
6: Right. Who has the time and who who would be willing to pay the extra expense to have a second opinion? Because after all, it's not like you're in a discussion about your odds of surviving cancer. That would take people to the world of second opinions because your life hangs in the balance but if it's just one tooth you're probably going to let it slide and this means that our hypothetical dentist would have a pretty low chance of being caught so long as they didn't get too greedy so long as it was as as their parasitism and uh as long as their parasitism doesn't go past a certain threshold and as long as they distribute this grift across an adequate sample size of patients. But here's the twist. This is not a hypothetical example. There are well-documented cases, multiple well-documented cases of dentists who have conspired to subject patients to absolutely unnecessary, unneeded procedures with the goal of profit, these can quickly become expensive. I haven't found, to to the earlier question about fetish, I was wondering, you know, is there like, like there's a certain percentage of shoe salespeople who are in the shoe game, not because they like money. It's very in defeat, like Tarantino-style in defeat. And I was wondering if there's a dentist somewhere who's just really into playing with your teeth. Uh, Those people may exist, but we didn't find any hard evidence of those folks. What we found is largely profit motivation. There's a case that uh, Jaber dives into about a guy in San Jose, California. Well, two guys. One is a dude who needs a tooth extracted. His name's Terry Mitchell, and one is a dentist named John Roger Lund.
1: This took place about 20 years ago. So in this case, Terry Mitchell is our protagonist in many ways. And he started seeing Lund on the recommendation of a friend, at least that's according to, to him. And, you know, they met each other. It went really well in the article. Even the building itself is described the, the way that Lund looked, he was just, you know, um, seemed like a trustworthy, you know, middle-aged man. He said, okay, this, this seems, this seems like it's going to be good. I think we're going to get along. And, Uh, he needed a tooth extracted. So Lund, the dentist in this case, extracted Mitchell's tooth or Terry's tooth. Let's call it, let's do Terry and Lund. I know it's not quite right because it's a first name and a last name. Sounds
3: like an amazing
1: songwriting duo. though. (laughs) Yes, uh... yes. (laughs) Um, uh, But okay, so but during this first visit, kind of like the mechanic example that you gave Ben, Lund notice that there were two other problems going on under the hood there uh, for Terry. And he said there are two more problems that we need to take care of. And, you know, it it makes sense, right? Like you said, like we've talked about this whole episode, Lund was in Terry's mouth, saw the problems, let him know. And that should have been fine and regular and normal. And okay. this is all in the up and up. But it turns out it wasn't.
6: Yeah, that's the thing. So. If you are the typical person, you might get one or two root canals in, in your life. You might go your whole life without getting one. But in the space of just seven years, Lund, uh, the mouth, the mechanic of the mouth, who had said, you know, basically I know you're here for an oil change and tire rotation, but we need to look at your transmission. That's the, the auto version of what he was doing. In just seven years... Lund gave this guy, Terry Mitchell, nine root canals and around nine crowns. Mitchell's insurance, like most people's insurance, only covered a little bit of each of these procedures because they were beyond your twice a year checkup uh, or the small portion allocated for fillings, et cetera. So, all in all, over seven years, get this, Mitchell ended up paying about 50 grand of his own money out of pocket and You know, because this happened over time, he wasn't particularly troubled by it. He had no reference point. He was not an expert. You know what I mean? He wasn't digging into statistics or anything. He just thought root canals turned out to be as common as fillings. It just happens in the course of life, and, uh, you know, it's a necessary evil. The best way to say it is he trusted Lund. There was social engineering going on. He said, you know, if I need these treatments, well, I should get them before things get worse, right? And he probably had, you know, um, horrific uh, spectral visions of his life as a man with full dentures at a young age, and he wanted to avoid it. But there's other things he did not know that would have perhaps changed his decision if he had learned them if he had learned of even one of these pieces of information over that seven years, first, another one of Lund's patients was having the same experience. Uh, That's was right. A, yeah, a businesswoman in her 50s named Joyce Cordy. She learned of Lund's not through a word-of-mouth referral, but through a, uh, a service called 1-800-DENTIST.
3: Yeah, and it's, again, kind of things like 1-800-DENTIST or care credit and stuff like that that sort of kind of point to how slightly problematic a lot of these things are care credit being like a credit card that people apply for that specifically is meant to pay for medical expenses or dental expenses uh, on credit with a pretty high interest rate Um, but we'll we'll get more into that later Uh, so when Cordy visited Lund for the first time back in 1999 she was perfectly healthy mouthwise she'd never had so much as a cavity. And to her knowledge, she had a perfectly healthy and happy mouth, uh, which is what everyone wants. Um but she had had a small dental bridge installed to fix uh, something that was not uh, any fault of her own in terms of her you know hygiene. Uh, it was a congenital anomaly. She was born with one tooth trapped inside of another one and had to have one of those extracted. I wonder what the name of that condition is. Um and within a year, Lund was concerned, at least, uh, with her the quality of her bridge, the resilience, anyway, um, and told her that she needed root canals and crowns um, to to fix whatever was wrong with this bridge. Um, and she didn't understand because you know she before she'd seen this this guy she. Been fine. She'd never had any uh, dental procedures other than this one to fix something that, you know, again, she was born with. So why all of a sudden the need for all of these procedures uh, when she'd experienced decades of good dental health? So she you know, expressed this openly to Lund. Um, And he, you know, as any good huckster does, had a line, counter to every point that she made. Um, The cavity on this tooth was in the wrong position to treat with a typical filling, uh, things like that. Your gums are receding, causing tooth decay. And then over the course of 10 years, Lund gave Cordy 10 root canals and 10 crowns. And Just thought, leveled up from Terry Mitchell. Seriously, and it also leveled up, you know, cha-ching wise. Uh, I believe it was around fifty k for Terry Mitchell. She was in closer to $70,000 for all of this dental work. Um, he also removed her bridge and replaced it
6: with two new ones that left a gap in her front teeth. Yeah, she did not, for the record, request the Madonna look. Uh, this was not... This was not her plan, uh, but again, she was in the hands of an expert. In her case, in particular, uh, her one of her parents was a doctor, so she was kind of uh, primed to respect this as to respect these professionals as authority figures. Which you know, I think you should. But again, just like a crooked mechanic, Lund and other dentists like him really stood. A very small chance of being caught. In fact, Lund retired without controversy at first. We only know the full extent of this story because of the dentist who took over his practice. Like we said, the vast majority of dentists are on the up and up, they're professionals. They just want to help you and they just want to make a living. And that's where our protagonist, uh, our other protagonist, comes in, Brendan Ziedler. He did some digging, so Brenlin Ziedler buys Lund's practice around 2012, and so he he sort of he inherits those patients and their treatment plans. Within a few months, Ziedler began to suspect that uh, there was a a rotten tooth in this dental practice, because <laughs> uh, he looked at he looked at these financial records. It started out with self interest, to be clear, because he said, okay, Lund was. A rock star dentist when it came to the bottom line. This guy was making bands on bands on bands, but Ziedler asked himself, How come I'm only making like 10 to 25 percent as much cash as this guy was making every month in his practice? You know, I seriously right, like he's making ninety percent more than me in some months. And And what
1: what is a band? Stacks. Mm Mm-hmm.
6: That what what is it? Stack, stack.
3: You know, hundreds, dollar, dollar bills, y'all.
1: Is it, a, is it a hundred or a thousand?
3: Well, I mean, a band would be a thousand, made of hundreds, if I'm not mistaken. So well,
6: one band is usually a thousand.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is that twenties like inside with a rubber band around it? Mm-hmm. Well, blue,
6: blue band. They'll usually be stacked. Like blue bands would be stacks, a stack of ten thousand, and they would. They. I think they're usually hundred dollar bills.
1: Cool. I, thank you, guys. I just uh, <laughs> wanted to understand.
6: I know that comes up a lot, Matt, in your underground <laughs> dentistry practice.
1: It really does.
6: Matt and only I never know what to say. Payments and bands. <laughs> 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 so, Like how much? How much for? Uh, how much for my? Uh, how much for my crowns, Doctor Frederick? Uh, is that a stack each? Uh, it's two and a half bands, sir. Two and a half <laughs> bands, sir. Uh, so, so this is the thing like we said, he inherits these patients and he is speaking to more and more patients. And as he's speaking to them, he's starting to realize, hang on, there's a trend here. Because he is the person who's looking inside their mouths. It's like, these people have had a lot of work done, much more than I have ever seen before. And so he wouldn't, he didn't initially like tell them this, like someone is playing crazy games with your mouth. Uh, He said, after, you know, they're twice a year, they twice a year cleaning or whatever, he would look at me and say like, Hey, everything looks pretty great. You know, it's the equivalent of taking your car in for an oil change. And the mechanic saying, Hey, we changed your oil. We refilled the, you know, the wiper fluid. You are G to G, my friend. That means good to go. Cause I'm a really corny mechanic
3: we also put in a new transmission though because we were pretty sure
1: yours was on the fritz i know i know <laughs> you didn't have any
3: symptoms of that and, and you didn't ask for it but trust us you're gonna be all the better for it
1: but but it really it's crazy because in this case Ziedler did not do that no. like just as you said but he just said no you're good we'll see you in you know six months and like you said the patients were not used to that. They so they were them. the ones, they were the ones raising the lo- the alarm.
3: Yeah, oh, because they were used to like, just all of these procedures that were unnecessary. And so they were now suspicious
6: of the doctor that was actually acting in good faith. Yes. Yeah. Uh, some of them even kind of asked him for a second opinion from himself. Like, are you, did you look at every tooth as though he was going to say, Oh no, I just looked at your canines. I'm a fang guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um well,
3: <laughs> a, 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 and and just just I know this is probably obvious to most people but I don't think we are not implying that the dental profession as a whole is is populated I think this guy is a perfect example it's populated by these uh these crooks in fact there's a really good article Ben that that I believe you cited as well um in Dentistry Today the you know the publication of dentists that goes through all of this stuff and holds it up as an example of like yeah There's going to be some bad actors in every profession, and here are some of the worst ones in ours, just so you can be armed with this information and know
1: what to look for, right? Well, yes, but here's the thing. At at this point in the story, Ziedler, dentist number two, who's like looking at all these patients, this dentist doesn't know if perhaps Lund actually did amazing work fixed all these teeth, and they're just great now because they're all fixed because of Lund's amazing work. Right. Right? He He can't prove if it's that Mm -hmm. or they actually have been having, you know, way too many procedures. So what he does is he starts digging more into Lund to see if he can find anything else out.
6: Yeah, from like August of 2012 or so, uh, he loses his weekends. Ziedler does because instead of instead of kicking it and you know um, going to a dentist country club, which is not a real thing, uh, he spends every Saturday and Sunday for the next nine months diving into the records. Of the past five years of Lund's former practice. These are charts that include work performed on hundreds of patients. And he builds out, because he's probably super fun at parties, a giant Excel spreadsheet where he meticulously logs every procedure that Lund has made during those five years and then does some basic uh, some basic analyses. And what he found was horrifying because it turned out that every single year, Lund was performing very particular procedures at cartoonishly high rates. So a typical dentist, let's see, we said a typical person might get one to two root canals in their lifetime. That's a number with a lot of variants, so don't, don't feel like you're bad somehow if you had three or four. Uh, everybody's life is different. This means that a typical dentist is not going to choose a root canal as their first option. Uh, they would maybe perform a root canal on a tooth that had a crown on it from earlier in 3 to 7% of cases. Our boy Lund was giving people root canals in 90% of cases. And Ziedler eventually, spoiler alert, takes this guy to court. Uh, he says that Lund has performed invasive costly, unnecessary procedures on tons of people, and some of them had been seeing him. They trusted him. They'd been going to him for decades. Like, uh, like Matt's Dr. Kimchi, you've established this bond, you know, and you're like, if I have to have this unpleasant experience, I at least want to trust the person. Who's going through it with me? That's very understandable. Uh, but, oh, dude,
1: I totally yeah. trust her. She has pictures with Luda, so I mean, she come does. on,
6: she does. She has actually <laughs> met him. She has great stories about him. This <laughs> is—I I think this is a nice counterbalance. We're recommending—we're recommending a dentist we like while we're talking about this just absolute con artist.
3: I, I can't emphasize enough how amazing it is that her name is Doctor Kimchi. Uh, that's. Incredible. It's one of my favorite uh, Korean snacks.
1: I feel so bad we're we're totally not mentioning her partner I, and, and Dr. She has Presley. A, Presley, thank you. He's yeah. also awesome. <laughs> He's a cool cat. I like cat. my
3: dentist just fine, but I think it's time for me to switch. So, uh, you know, two out of three, mm. I feel like I need to get on the, the kimchi train. But no, you're you're right. I, like I said, I like my dentist too, and, and it is a trust thing, uh, especially since you have that kind of – Yeah, I mean, you do with your doctor too, um, but it's not quite the same for some reason. The doctor typically – isn't plumbing around in your bod, you know, like you, you get some blood taken, but that's going to be a different assistant. Every time the doctor usually just pops into the room, talks to you for a couple seconds and then has gone. Whereas the dentist usually comes in and really goes in there and like, you know, either does the bulk of the procedure or at the very least is much more hands-on. Um, Definitely
1: grabs your tongue with that gauze. That is just yes. so pleasant. I love
3: it. But um, I could see the feeling of, absolutely betrayed.
6: Oh yeah. Yeah, because this is this is the thing. We thanks to Ziedler can learn a little bit about Lund's MO. One of his favorite treatments, one of his favorite things to give people were was the crown, a dental crown. That's that's a metal or ceramic cap more and more often, ceramic now that completely covers, envelops an injured or decayed tooth. And that, that original tooth is first shaved down to, to a peg, to a stump. I could tell Matt, you love this in particular, so nope. that you can slot that new, that new, uh, exoskeleton on it. And these crowns have a pretty long life. They last 10 to 15 years on average. Lund wasn't only giving his patients crowns they didn't need. He was also replacing those crowns every five years. Why is that? Asked Ziedler. That's because five years is the minimal interval of time before insurance companies will cover the procedure again. So he knew what he was doing. He was waiting. And it was just a factory. It was a factory. And it turns out Terry Mitchell, despite, you know, probably being swindled out of 50 grand, he got off relatively easy. More than 50 of Lund's patients also had just bizarrely high numbers of root canals, 15, 20, 24. For reference, the average human mouth contains 32 teeth. So that, like, at this point, there's somebody walking around who has uh, the, the majority of their teeth are have had root canals. And in addition to this, he had also, get this, build patients for treatments he never actually administered. So in our auto mechanic example, and this has happened, uh, I'm sure, to many friends of ours and to some of our non-gearheads in the audience, it's the equivalent of being like, Charged for having your transmission fluid changed and they just never did it because they were like, how's he going to check? Or um, similar to the Just Breaks scandal, if you're familiar with that franchise, look it up. They did some serious dirt. So this is just one example. This is like true dentistry crime or what do we call it? Paul, what's that sound cue Mouth again? Mouth crime. <laughs> Mouth crime. And, <laughs> and now we have to ask ourselves... What comes next? Because dentistry as an industry is still struggling to embrace the same scientific inquiry, evidence-based standards, best practices that are common in the rest of the medical world. That situation has left dentists with a lot of latitude, a lot of agency to advise unnecessary procedures. And this doesn't mean that they're this doesn't mean they're all con artists. No, of course, the vast, vast majority of dentists are just honest people, honest experts trying to do a good job because in their mind, doing a good job means that their practice will continue. They don't feel like they need to or would ever want to resort to swindling people. Right, and there's a
3: list of these candidates for overtreatment that we have here. Um, Things like Root canals, uh, crowns and veneers, teeth whitening and filling, and and the one that I mentioned at the top of the show, deep cleaning, which is, again, the fancy name for that is scaling and root planing. And, like, my insurance would pay for one quadrant of my mouth. (laughs) There's four quadrants to the mouth, if you can imagine. And then I had to pay for the rest. Um, But they did a thing where they, like, quoted me on it, and then I said, okay, for that, if that's what insurance will pay, it was – decent i was like i'll pay this out of pocket and then when i actually did the procedure i walk out to pay and it was double what they said and i was like dang i would have said no right i would have said no i would have said i'm not gonna do it then i did kind of talk them down but i felt like
1: i was like negotiating with a car dealer or something (laughs) like that it was weird right it all goes back to the car mechanic you guys um there's another thing in here That really resonated with me from that Atlantic article, Ben, and it's the the concept of kind of doing what Lund did, replacing those uh, crowns or fillings for different kinds, like the new filling. It's the new substance that's better than the old metal filling. It's this new resin thing. It's this new uh, pseudo metal thing that you can get. Um, That becomes a superfluous thing that you don't have to do. And it, it goes back to the science problem that we discussed earlier, where it's not fully known if some of these new resin substances are actually stronger or better than the old metal ones. Or if the metal fillings actually are as dangerous as they purport to be because there's not enough research. There aren't enough studies to actually get that kind of statistical analysis to really say, okay, this is exactly the way it is. Um, this resin is definitely better than this other thing just something to keep in your mind when you're being told by your dentist no matter where you are who you are that you need something extra like that right yeah well said uh
6: this the phrase we just use over treatment is a euphemism right it can it can mean uh people acting in good faith but doing the most in your mouth. Uh, but it can also mean uh, intentional criminal activity, such as the conspiracy undertaken for many years by Dr. Lund. It seems distressingly, distressingly common because there's there's a, a shockingly high amount of incongruity uh, between one dentist and the next. There's a Swiss university called ETH Zurich and a while back, they had a team of researchers who got together and they asked, a, they took a volunteer patient who had three tiny cavities, the kinds of things that could be easily treated, right? Had, they had this patient go through Zurich and go to 180 dentists who were randomly selected. They weren't suspected of doing anything wrong, they were just normal working dentists. What they found is that the dentist advice, ran contrary often to the guidelines of the like Swiss Dental Association. They have the Swiss Dental Guidelines. And their position is, if you've got minor cavities, like this volunteer patient, you don't need fillings. Instead, the dentist needs to encourage you to do uh, better preventative maintenance. Because when you have a minor cavity, you can actually reverse some of this damage if you stay on your P's and Q's with brushing. Instead of that, fifty out of the one hundred and eighty dentists suggested various forms of unnecessary treatment, and they advised uh, their their recommendations were not uniform. They were all over the place, like anywhere from one to six fillings and other uh, other procedures. But okay, maybe maybe Swiss uh, Swiss advice is is too far away. Maybe you are saying I don't live in Switzerland. How does this apply to me? Let's go to the U.S. A writer named William Eckenbarger, writing for Reader's Digest, went through 28 states visiting 50 dentists to see how they would uh they would react to the state of his dental health. And he got he he got recommendations for everything from like, here's a single crown, to oof, this is a wreck, this is a teardown, we have to fully reconstruct your mouth. The price tag variance there started from $500 and went to nearly $30,000. And this gives you a sense of just how varied this can be. As we said in the top, it is exceedingly rare for someone to get a second opinion from a different dentist. But it might not be the worst move because, again, there need to be some better safeguards in place. To wrap our story up, back to Ziedler, October 2013 – He sues Lund as soon as he thinks he can prove his case. He says, you've misrepresented your practice when you gave it to me, and therefore you've breached our contract because he thought he was going to make a lot of money. He said your reported income for your practice of $729,000 to $988,000 per year was a result of fraudulent billing activity, billing for unnecessary treatment, and billing for treatment that was never performed. The suit was settled. For how much? Well, we don't know. Confidential amount. We'll never know. We'll never know. Uh, So there you have it. The mechanic analogy turns out to be unfortunately and tragically apt. Of course, as we said uh, several times in this episode, yes, the vast majority of dentists are not out to scam people. They want to do a great job. They want to grow their practice. If you feel that you have been taken in by someone with dishonest tendencies, or even if you don't think there's corruption and crime afoot, if you feel maybe your dentist is just with the best intentions doing too much, you should get a second opinion. You should get it as soon as possible. Don't get it from your buddies either. Get it from a, a different dentist <laughs> that you that you haven't met before, uh, and. We want to hear your stories. At this point, we want to ask what you think. We've got dental hygienists in the crowd here. We have uh, we have dentists who listen to this show. Uh, we'd love to hear from anybody with firsthand experience, whether you are in the seat or whether you are someone treating a patient. Uh, we'd like to hear whether you have heard things like this in your neck of the global woods, especially if you're a dentist yourself. Um, I think we'd all be curious to, to learn whether in your industry – or in, you know, your region, there's a practice that everybody kind of knows is crooked. Kind of like how somewhere, some someone is the world's worst astronaut. Ast- the field of astronautics is relatively small right now. Everybody knows who the world's worst astronaut is. So if you're a dentist in your region, you know, especially if you're a more rural region and there's a bad actor, then the odds are the people who would be more aware of that would be dentists who have seen their work.
1: Yeah. Uh, just to be clear, I am the world's worst astronaut, just if you if you were wondering. I would not do well up there. Uh, but <laughs> Get it together, Matt. <laughs> but this is the last time we're going to say it in this episode, we love dentists and dental hygienists. Especially the ones listening, as you said, Ben. Uh, Oh yeah, because really, it's a cool. It's it's a great thing. You help people all the time. Dentists help people all the time. This is very rare, (sighs) and they get
6: such a hard time for it. Oh, they because of all the things we mentioned. It's because of the stereotypes
3: and because of all the phobias and just people's you know perspectives on dentists. But if you do want to hear it straight from the dentist's mouths. Collectively, uh, you can check out this art- article on dentistrytoday.com that really runs down all of this uh, corruption and, 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 and it op- openly acknowledges it. Um, and the article title is Bad Dentists and the Professional Code of Silence hmm. by Michael
6: W. Davis, DDS. So, as we said let us know your stories tell us your experiences uh, we would we would love to hear from you we try to be easy to find online Facebook Twitter Instagram all the hits all the good ones uh, you can find us conspiracy stuff conspiracy stuff show you can uh, if you if you like the visual components of things also check us out on YouTube where we are youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff but wait you say. I hate social media. I don't sip those social meds. No worries, fellow conspiracy realists. You can also
1: contact us directly on our call-in line. That's right. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. After you hear Ben beckon you forth into the darkness to leave a message, please do so. Give us your name, the one you'd like for us to refer to you as. doesn't have to be your real name. Then leave your message. You have three minutes we ask that you please, please call one time. Don't call five times in a row. Call one time, leave your message, and that'll be that. If you need to send us extra information, we highly recommend you connect with us in one of the other ways. The best way, especially if you got links or an attachment or something like that, please contact us via our good old-fashioned email address. We are Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This
3: is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. As
1: important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! The Gene Fodor! Gene, what's good? But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene,
0: huh? oh! run!
3: Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: I'm Saleha Mosent, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States.